Welcome to Out of the Question, a podcast that looks behind some common questions and uncovers the question behind the question while providing real solutions for biblical world and life view. Your host is Andrea Schwartz, a teacher and mentor and founder of the Chalcedon Teacher Training Institute. Thanks for joining me for this edition of the Out of the Question podcast. Now, many of you know that I was and in the trenches, homeschool mom for almost 30 years. And then subsequent to that, what I have done is mentor homeschoolers, the parents in terms of how to orient themselves to the task at hand. I've done tutoring. And especially at the point we are today societally, there are more and more Christian families that are saying, I cannot keep my kids in the state schools anymore. I think I'm going to homeschool. And when I have the opportunity to talk with them, the first question they ask is, tell me what to do and what curriculum should I buy? Now, I'm all for curriculum, but one of the things I think is missing in that question is an understanding that a homeschool is really the return of the God-given responsibility for parents to educate their children. And that means that the education the children get will look very much like the parents of those children. So there's hardly a one-size-fits-all. And yet, when you send your child to what I'll refer to as a day school, whether it's a state school or a private school or a private Christian school, just in order to get anything done, there's this idea that we have to standardize the curriculum because imagine you have 15 children in a class. You can't have 15 different curriculums for 15 children with one teacher. So what makes a homeschool endeavor different is that the parents can tailor what they think is important in terms of communicating that to their children. And I have had families that were very, very much into music. So it's no surprise that their children, all of them, have been very capable musicians playing a variety of instruments. Does this mean they abandoned everything else? No, but that was their emphasis. For some people, it's agriculture. And these people are very involved in the farm in which they live. And so they raise animals, they sell their produce, etc. Are we going to say that's less valuable than the musicians? No. If it's done to the glory of God, there's a place in society for the food producers. There's a place in society for the musicians. So today I am talking, and I can't call her a homeschool vet like I am because she's a lot younger and her oldest is, I think, seven years old. Yeah, eight years old. Okay. I just got the hand sign that said she was eight years old. So <laughs> Kathy Brown, who is my guest, um, you might be familiar with her. She's been a guest blogger at the Chalcedon blog a number of times, and I will link to those blogs on the notes when we post this podcast. But Kathy is an unusual person. And let me just give you a little background. First of all, she'll agree that she's a bit unusual. So I'm not saying anything she wouldn't agree with. I first encountered Kathy as a result of my husband contacting Chalcedon Underwriters, thanking them for helping with the ministry. And he got off the phone after speaking to this woman and he said, you've got to contact her. You've got to. 
I mean, this person is like you. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> now, will I like that when I actually talk to her? Will she like that when we talk? And then I did call her and I could see why he said this. For someone who I consider new at the mothering game, because it was a number of years ago and her, her eight-year-old was much younger, um, this is a woman who had read not only the Institutes of Biblical Law and a number of other Rush Dooney books, but this is a woman who had read the Church Fathers. This is a woman who was very classically oriented in terms of you just never can know too much in order to understand your faith better. And where she's leaps and bounds ahead of me, not only does she read the footnotes in Rush Dooney's work, she goes out and she buys the books and, and reads them to get a better understanding. So when we were moving beyond our women's study for the Institutes of Biblical Law, um, the women said, let's go on, let's have another study. And I said, okay, we'll do Revolt Against Maturity. And I knew exactly who to tap to co-teach or co-lead this group with me, and that was Kathy. And since she has joined our studies, I think everybody in the studies would agree. We've all taken a couple of steps up from what we were used to, not always willingly or happily, but Kathy always brings to the conversation more than let's say most of us would bring. So after that introduction, which you can correct anything I've said incorrectly, welcome Kathy Brown to the Out of the Question podcast. Hi, Andrea. It's good to be here. I, I am. I'm, I'm a learner. I'm a reader. Um, you could call me a bibliophile, a lover of books, or a bibliophage, a devourer of books. Uh, but either which way, I've always had a love of learning. Uh, and that manifested itself very classically in books. So you really do have a wide range of experience. Um, you've been to Bible college, if I'm not mistaken, that my recollection, you've been classically trained musically, and you've had to defend your faith among family and friends, some of which manifested themselves as foes at times. And so you're very well-versed in not only the Reformed faith and Christian Reconstruction and theonomy, but you also know very much about church history. And so since this is a discussion on how to teach your children, it probably won't surprise my listeners that after hearing about you, that Maybe when it came time to decide, okay, how am I going to have my children learn? You probably were a bit dissatisfied with the pickings out there. Why don't you share a little bit about that? Well, before I became, I was, I was a Bible major in, in college. Uh, I started out actually as a music education major for the first year, which means that I went away to school. I did the, the, the university thing, one of the, the colleges here in, in state, and I only had four education classes, but I had two education observations. Um, and that, I don't want to say it taught me to hate other people's kids, <laughs> but it, it taught me that education can't be an aspect separate from the relationship uh, and separate from the discipline. It can't be uh, carved into just one, one sphere, one side of your life. It has to be a whole life endeavor. So when you couldn't approach a child with uh, their discipline issues, when you couldn't approach a child with their emotional issues, when you had to keep it to, I'll just teach what's on the page. There's a failing that happens in education. 
And, and that stuck with me. That stuck with me the next few years as, as I finished out college and became more aware of my own educational experience. It never occurred to me that studying was just easy. I just sat down and I just learned because I liked learning. I saw value in learning. But if you weren't ever given the chance to develop that way, if you were never shown that, um, then learning is a chore. And it's something that most adults then abandon. Uh, and that was an interesting transition going from college to the real world. Well, I mean, okay, well, technically I have my degree, but what are we going to learn next? I never stopped learning and everyone around me stopped learning. The people that went ahead of me are like, what do you mean you're still, but you're not in school anymore. Why are you still learning? Why are you still reading? Being set apart like that, finding value in the continuing process of learning. I'd, I'd love to take credit for it. And I'm just super awesome like that, but I'm not. Um, that happens to be one of the particular gifts God gave me. Uh, um, it's not administration. It's not teaching. It's not one of the, but every, every part of the body has different things that they're just good for, that they're good at functioning for. I'm, I'm good at learning. I'm good at understanding systems of learning, and I'm good at being able then to take it apart and pass it along to others, much to their consternation because they're tired of constantly being talked at. <laughs> but right. I can't help it. That's the way I think. Everything is, oh, let's find a way to make this make sense. Let's put it into a system in our minds so that we're going to be able to adapt it into practical everyday life. So it's probably not surprising to anybody who knows you, and I'd imagine Mr. Brown falls into this category as well, to know that when children came along, your, your criteria for what an education would be was probably different than the other moms if you were part of a homeschool support group or if you went to homeschool conventions that you'd find a lot of people who thought identically to you. And what I want to get into right now a little bit is the idea of curriculum and what it actually means and what happens when parents who are given this responsibility to raise their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord decide they can let other people decide? Not, I'm not saying you don't get help from other people, but let other people decide what's important. What do you have to say about that? Well, we've got a couple hurdles with that. Most of us um, that are homeschooling now, we're not homeschooled growing up. Uh, the movement is growing. Thank goodness, thank God that it is growing. But we come from a public school setting, or maybe maybe we're lucky, maybe a private school setting, maybe even a Christian school setting. But there were very clear delineations of this is what you're supposed to learn. Uh, when you get into high school and they say you have to have this many credit hours to graduate and you have to have this many in this subject and this many in this subject, you begin to learn or at least acclimate yourself to believing, oh, okay, so an education is this percentage of this and this percentage of this, and these are the subjects that I have to cover. Even when you get out of schooling and you go look at, okay, I'm going to homeschool my kid. There's all the state requirements. The state of West Virginia, I live within West Virginia. The state of West Virginia requires you when you first sign up for homeschooling to submit a letter of intent saying the name of your child, their age, and that you're going to promise to teach them these five subjects, math, science, social studies, language arts, and reading. Well, that right there affects what you believe curriculum is. Oh, okay. So if I can teach them these five subjects, then they've learned, right? Well, no, 
because the state's the one that set that bar. The state's the one that gave you those guidelines. Why don't we sign a letter of intent to our Bible? <laughs> okay, God says I have to raise my child this way and this way and this way. So I intend to teach them this and this and this from within systematic theology, from within the Ten Commandments, from within uh, the Lord's Prayer. We don't bother to consider that because we're just very accustomed to, we've been normalized to, oh, this is just what an education is. And that's what we have to start peeling back. Now, I'm glad you brought that up because you have brought to the forefront here the difference between what God commands and what the state requires. And I think it's fair to say in any of the 50 states of the U.S., we don't have any state that says the primary thing that must be communicated to children is to love God with their whole heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love their neighbor as themselves. So we have to recognize where we are. And so with these requirements, and each state might have different ones, we can understand that the state is making a requirement that the word of God doesn't give them the justification to do because the state has no jurisdiction in education. The state's jurisdiction is justice and defense, but it's an appropriated jurisdiction much the same way as health and welfare have been taken. So understanding where you are, I like telling people, it's good to know you're in Babylon because if you didn't think you were in Babylon, then you might operate differently and not be able to fulfill your God-given calling. So as a parent, you recognize that West Virginia has some requirements, but you have gone beyond saying, well, this is all I have to do to be right by my children. I imagine that if West Virginia looked at what you do as compared to what they require, you might have some jaws dropping and you might also have some people recognizing very clearly the religious nature of education. Comment on that. We currently are tracking 11 subjects per year um, that we have lessons set up every single weekend. Um, and that's, <laughs> it's a very complex system. Obviously, it's not required for absolutely everyone. It just is what happens to work with our household. But how we got here is saying, okay, this is what the state says. I mean, that's a doctoral statement. The state says, this is knowledge, these five subjects. And we say, no, that's a usurpation. You don't get to tell me what knowledge is. Knowledge is a part of the image of God in man. We are made in God's image in knowledge, righteousness, holiness, and unto dominion. So knowledge doesn't ever get to be put out there apart from righteousness, holiness, and unto dominion. So we went back in and we unpacked what the state said. Okay, math, you need to learn math, okay? For what purposes? To what ends? So we can appear to be a smart cookie. You know, you need, you need practical mathematical skills to be able to be prudent in your finances. Some will go on to be in scientific fields that are going to need advanced math skills, in which case, okay, there's good purposes for that math too. Uh, math is also good for teaching orderly minds, math and music, using them backwards and forwards to help train the brain essentially in ways that make it more competent in its taking dominion. So there's a very good theonomic statement of why we learn math. We can go through every single subject like that. 
Um, and, and fortunately, we're not the only ones that have done this in the last so many years. Um, the answers in Genesis site and the Apologia site and, and a lot of these new curriculum offerings that are trying to present science in, from a Christian standpoint instead of a, of a um, humanistic standpoint. Even history now, um, the mystery of history series. Yes, it's just modern evangelical. It's not fully theonomic. And yet it's an orientation to history that says God is working in the world and God has always been working in the world. And the rest of the world's history revolves around God and his people and his purposes. It's all lined up. Those are theonomic statements in curriculum. Those are statements of dominion. Uh, unfortunately, we haven't made it through all subjects yet. Right. So, again, you bring up a good point. You have to teach in terms of where you want to go. I've often used the expression, if you don't have a destination, like we're used to now GPS in our car, you have to plug in a destination. Otherwise, the car just doesn't know where you're going. It doesn't say, well, I sense she's hungry, so she's going to go to a restaurant. Let's get her there. So you have to know what where you want to end up. And I can almost hear a lot of people saying, wow, this woman is amazing, but that's not me. I wasn't like that in school. I wasn't like that in college. I don't know if I even understand the ramifications of what she's even saying. So maybe it's just better idea. I just keep my kid in the public school because, you know, I'm not qualified. How would you respond to that? Well, I mean, does God judge us for the results? Does God ever hold us accountable to, oh, well, no, absolutely. You, you are expected to do this regardless of who you are. This is, this is the, the absolute minimum. The message of the cross is mercy and grace and endeavor. Sanctification is a process towards holiness. Why is it not a process also towards knowledge? Why are we not still trying to do better, still trying to learn? And why are we not then one body, many parts? We're not allowed to say the other, I don't need you, or because I'm not you, I suppose I don't need to find the way for me to function within the body. Uh, yeah, I trust me, I know I, I can seem very intimidating to a lot of people. I'm very different than a lot of people. These are the gifts that I was given. If you were to ask me to go to a hospital and do visitation with people and put on a cheery face, I might make it 30 minutes and it's going to be a very dramatic production of, hey, look, I'm happy chipper person. And are you feeling better? Because it's just not one of my gifts. I, I have a heart for people, but I don't do good at showing it. And it never really occurs to me how often it needs to be shown. So everyone has different gifts. First and foremost, please, if you're listening, don't compare yourself to me, not because I'm exceptional, but because we're talking about an area of strength that I have. And you aren't here to come in and talk about an area of strength that God has gifted you. I'm responsible for using what he's given me for his ends in the sphere I'm given. The same way that you're responsible for using what he's given you in the sphere that you've been given. The question isn't about the abilities. The question is about the command. The question is about what is our duty. Is it your duty to only teach your child if you have a PhD? or if you're able to peruse the mysteries of the universe and sit down with any book you touch and go, ah, oh, I can give you a Christian perspective on this, like it's easy. No, God chose the weak things to shame the strong. 
God chose the foolish to shame the wise. God chose the things that aren't to shame the things that are. It seems impressive right now, but in the heavenly balance, in the heavenly economy, it is more impressive when someone brings their weakness forward and endeavors in their weak area because God has commanded it. God has asked it. Just try, just endeavor. And that allows the Holy Spirit to work. Absolutely. And I think the takeaway from what you're saying and what I believe is that if God has convicted parents that they must give their children a Christian education, that's step one. Mm -hmm. And if you're inclined to take on homeschooling or even send your child to a Christian school, in which case you're going to have to discern is what I want for my child going to take place there, is that first and foremost, they need to know that they should fear God and keep his commandments because that's what they're called to do. And then education becomes all the subsets of that. And so if at first you're not really sure as to how to put together a curriculum, well, certainly in the basics, Calcedon is always been ready and continues to be ready to help you get started. But what I found interesting about what you've done and the reason I say that I know what you've done early on when you said you were putting together a curriculum that you thought reflected the commands of God to teach the law and to be able to apply it. And so I said, sure, I'd love to look at what you're doing. And then when I got <laughs> the attachment and I saw the detail that you put into it, I realized that this curriculum or this way of teaching is an excellent reflection of who you are now, who you were growing up, and that you've decided that your children will be exposed to all of these things that you consider important, but you've managed to do it in a winsome way that instead of viewing themselves as having been sent to the gulag, oh my goodness, look what I have to do. They look and say, wow, look what we get to do. And it's more like going to the beach or going to the zoo or finding out about various things. So go into your pilot curriculum because your children are your guinea pigs, so to speak, <laughs> and what you've put together and your orientation. And let's just explore what you hope to achieve by putting your children through this and yourself, because the homeschool mom learns as she goes. And uh, sometimes she has to take that eraser, say, okay, that was a great idea in my head. It's not working out this way and change it. So talk a little bit and explain why you call your curriculum, what you do and what your vision is. Well, in the first place, it's not a whole curriculum. This is a specific area. We mentioned that, okay, math is for these purposes. And there's already a lot of other good Christian curriculums out there now for science, being able to teach science in a way that honors God and that points to the created order and the creator of that created order. There's also now great history curriculum out there that points to God and his working in history. Last fall, we started having problems in literature within the house. Um, we bought the normal homeschool curriculum literature packets where you take the little kid's book and you, you read a chapter and then you ask a dozen questions and you have to learn half a dozen vocabulary words, very simplistic 
approach to reading. The problem was the approach to reading. It presumed that reading is nothing more than comprehension. And half that comprehension is just a, a way to make sure that you read the page. What was the color of her calico skirt? Does it really matter? Yes, because if you can answer that question, then we know for sure that you read this chapter. That's not dominion learning. That's, that's very checkbox, very public school orientation. Um, and it's not what we wanted for our kids. So as, <laughs> as we started realizing we're failing in this, it's not doing so well because it's boring and dull and we need to find something else. Started looking into what all is available out there to learn how to read. And the sad truth is, in our world today, you only learn how to read through third grade. They're very proud to say, oh, up through third grade, you're learning to read. And after third grade, you're reading to learn. But there's a problem with that. It presupposes everything you need to know skill-wise to be able to learn. You learn before you reach generally the age of comprehension, where kids are starting to wake up and things are firing and snaps are going, oh, I, I get that now. I'm finally realizing there's light bulb moments hitting which means that they consider reading as basically nothing but phonics and, and basic, did you see what's on the page? But reading has to be more than that. Reading has to be for what purpose, to what end? Why do, you, why do you read books, Andrea? Why do I read books? What is the purpose of reading a book? So we started developing a, a doctrine of reading, I, I guess you would say it started emerging and, and, and what I came out with is, is reading to me has three different aspects. Yes, there's comprehension. You have to be able to process. These are the words on the page and this is what they mean. You have to learn skills in reading, certain concepts of reading and ways of looking at what's on the page. Mm, the current curriculum is very, very, very flat on that. Oh, here's, here's a simple sentence to tell you what a character is. Memorize that. But, but why? What, what does that mean? Well, for, for what purpose? To what end? Uh, and then there has to just be consumption. You have to train to consume because reading is not something that only happens during education years. And by the time you hit you know, 18 in high school or 22 out of college, or maybe if you went on a little bit beyond that, 24 or 26, reading is a lifelong endeavor because reading is where we get knowledge. Reading is where we accumulate knowledge. This is our identity in God. This is our image of God within us. Knowledge, righteousness, holiness, unto dominion. We apply ourselves as Christians to the holiness and the righteousness. We, we are constantly working on our sanctification. We're reading the good Christian books about that, and that's good. And we talk about, oh, yeah, we need to take dominion over areas, which means for most people, just a lot more evangelizing. But maybe they're trying to do things more in a godly manner other places. But what does it mean to increase the knowledge within us from the image of God? And how does that knowledge tie to righteousness and holiness and dominion? It means we have to learn how to read differently than we've been taught, than we've been shown. It has to be more than the normal pedagogical wah, wah that exists out there. <laughs> so tell me what Bibliomond is. Well, <laughs> bibliomond is a made-up term because we like making up terms. That's actually a literary device that we'll learn about, what it means to make up words that mean things that you want them to mean. So bibliomond is two root words. We're familiar with biblio or biblion. These are the words that were used with our Bible and with biblioteca, which is, you know, a, a library. We're talking about anything that has to do with books, with scrolls, with written knowledge. 
So in the Bibliomond, we're dealing with knowledge as it's been written down and passed down. Um, and because that word has quite a long history of it, um, Jesus, when he stood up in the temple and read from the scroll, today these words have been fulfilled in your, in your hearing, he was reading from Biblion. If you look it up in the original Greek, Biblion. So Biblio has existed in, in our world um, for, for several centuries, back to before the time of Christ, for, for more than two millennia. And that means something. It means that there's a history in reading. There's a history in learning. And it's a continuity, which we should never turn down as Christians. We should never try to <laughs> fall prey to the modernist fallacy that just runs amok in our world. Oh, it's only about me and my time. No, no, I'm really insignificant in, in the scope of human history. So tie yourself to the scope of human history as often as you can. Mond is, um, if you studied Latin words, Latin root words, um, you'll see it in the French, you, um, mundo in Spanish. You're talking about the world as a literal translation for translation. So you would just think, okay, world of books, that's fine. But Mond is actually more than that. Have you ever seen on the crowns that um, were worn for centuries? At the top of the little rounded part, right underneath of a cross, there's a circle. <laughs> Most people don't pay attention to that. It's nice and glitzed out. It's covered in gems or it's carved ornately or whatnot, but there's a circle. But it's not just a circle. It's meant to represent the world that the ruler is over. It's meant to represent a sovereign ruling over the world. And that gives big implications when we take it then into the scope of learning and reading and books. There is a sovereign use for books in the Christian life. There's a sovereign use for taking dominion, using the knowledge that is contained in books. Um, and it's a dominion, as we've discussed, most people don't use after they get out of formal education. The world is ripe for dominion scholarship, um, people approaching learning and reading from a godly Christian worldview and perspective. So I'm hearing maybe the thoughts that will proceed from those listening saying, well, that's fine and dandy for her. But first question is, what if her children don't want to do it? Isn't she imposing her, her view on her children? Which, of course, the answer is yes, right? Unapologetically, yes. And that question, and I've heard it oftentimes, presupposes that education isn't the imposition of a certain worldview. Mm -hmm. Talk about that a little bit. Well, train up a child in the way they should grow. It presupposes someone's going to be doing the training. It presupposes there has to be someone of knowledge to present things to someone without that knowledge. Uh, for parents who would want to complain, now you have to give your kid freedom to do whatever. Okay, then step back. Let them learn from World of Warcraft. Why don't you let them learn from their online gaming and only from their friends? Why do you bother to put any rules on them? They're just learning the world on their own terms. We know that when we are young, we think like children, we reason like children, we act like children. It takes effort to grow us to the point where we put those childish things behind us. 
and the Bible affirms this over and over again. I understand it's a very modern sentiment that says, just let them do what they want and they should be allowed to have their own opinion. No, they should be able to, to form their own personalities. I'm not going to tell my kid what color they can and can't like. I'm not going to tell them, nope, you must love dogs above cats. But I am going to say, no, I'm older, I'm wiser. You're going to need to know this. Even more than that, God's word says you need to know this. If we're going to tell them they don't have to listen to that, then we're essentially telling them, no, God's mistaken. I'm sure you can figure out at age seven, eight, nine, ten, better than God could figure it out being the omniscient, you know, being that he is out there. <laughs> is that really the lesson you want to teach your kids? I would say the the, the question at the heart of that um, isn't about whether or not they they want to, but you're making them do something they don't want to do. Um, what you're saying is you're 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 worried that that they might push back a little bit against it, and maybe I'm not going to have the answer or the encouragement or the strength to follow through on the discipline to say no. You need to learn this. You need to submit. You need to say you're the authority. You're the one who knows better, and I will obey. That's a hard lesson. I I don't have the ability to teach that lesson to any adult out there. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. So if if you question your ability to be able to make your kid try, then it's probably a good time to pray, saying, "God, I'm 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 not doing so well on enforcing discipline. I'm not doing so well on the training up. I'm not holding up to my end of the deal of the parent-child relationship. Help me in my weakness." And I think you brought up a really good point. Um, I don't know where it's written that parenting is going to be easy or without pushback. And yet somehow or other, and I've heard it recently, parents with children that would fall under the difficult category. And sometimes these quote unquote difficult children are also extremely smart in terms of being able to understand things, but also being able to manipulate situations. And then the conclusion is I have to turn my child over to the experts. Well, I remind these parents, you will not find the diagnosis of ADD, ADHD, and any other alphabet letters that are now part and parcel of these things. In other words, the Bible is pretty specific about who we all are and the process by which we come to know and understand who God is. And so education could be reduced to helping a child become a parent's disciple so that when the child now is able to understand and comprehend more, will say, oh, my parents are disciples of Jesus Christ, and then they too become disciples of Jesus Christ. So it's really not a question of, will my children be able to get this? Do I need to have an expert tell me about my child? And I think if anything has been proven true, whether it's parents who are parents of children with Down syndrome or autism or Asperger's or whatever it is, no one knows that child as well, usually as the mother does. And God has given that role. In other words, that is where the buck stops. And so you are totally not only within your jurisdiction, but you have a promise from God as you put him first, the various things that you will do to teach your children how to put him first 
is is what parenting slash schooling is all about. It's it's sad that we have to put a hyphen, you know, homeschooling parents. In other words, this is what the Bible says the home is about. And anything other than that is a delegation. But you don't delegate to people who don't know what they're doing. And that's why the gatekeepers in education have to be the parents. Right. And I want to give a word of confidence to parents. At the end of the day, was your child born to an expert? Was your child born to the state? No, your child was born to you. Was that a mistake on God's part? Does God work in mistakes? Does he just randomly assign kids and whatever happens, happens? And gosh, we hope that he can work that for his own means and ends. No, God's prerogative is involved in every aspect of our lives. God, God didn't send you a child that you would never be able to teach. God custom made that child for exactly the lessons you're going to be able to teach them. And it's not about highfalutin education. It's about your example. It's about your life in Christ. Okay, so you've got a, a hard-headed child. Congratulations. The fact that that child was born to you means that God considered that one day you were going to be an expert in handling hard-headed child, that child specifically. God gave you exactly what you need to be able to deal with them. God made that child exactly who they need to be, be to grow you in your sanctification. You're for their good and they're for your good, all according to God's ends and God's purposes. So, Parents, instead of being afraid of whether or not they can do this or, or whether or not they'll fail or they need to go to expert testimony, you already have the sign-off that you're capable to teach the child everything they need to know. You had that sign-off the moment that that little one was put into your womb, period. That's all it takes. God would not make the mistake of giving you a child that you could not handle. And there's confidence to get from that. Absolutely. And that said, I have encountered many a woman who now considers me their older Titus II woman or their mentor. And these women are hungry and thirsty for help. And so these are not people who encounter me and say, well, you know, someday I might. These are the people that say, help me, please. I've got this child who does this, this, and this. And I mean, they are so myopic at this point. All they see is this Leviathan child and their inadequacy. And then having done this for a while, I can laugh and say, oh, yeah, that was child number two for me. And they're like, well, you seem pretty relaxed about it. And I said, well, let me assure you, I wasn't at the time, but were I to do this over again, I would be. And praise God, I had mentors who would, you know, would take me off the ledge regularly. I mean, there's a funny um, time where I was struggling with one of my children who probably, you know, if we ever IQ test her, which we didn't because we didn't value that, but I'm sure based on IQ, she would be high there. But there were times where she could be quite impossible, and I could see that in some areas she actually was smarter than I was. 
And, you know, praise God when you discover that doesn't mean that you're now off the hook because this person is smarter. And I remember telling my husband in moments of desperation, you know what, maybe we should send her to boarding school because, you know, like I was ready to just ditch this. And he looked at me and said, really? And I said, "Okay, fine, then I'm going to boarding school. One of us is going to boarding school. You know, he got me off the ledge, encouraged me to talk to other people, which I did right to realize that just because problems arise doesn't mean you're failing it goes back to what you just said you think god didn't know this temperament you didn't choose your child your child didn't choose you well wow this is a theological concept that says things like election predestination the sovereignty of god join the club folks none of us made these decisions you're not that unusual. And by God's grace, you go through this experience and you're going to earn, you know, stripes, these invisible homeschool mom or these mom stripes that basically makes you a veteran of this war. And it's not the war between the North and the South or this country. It's the war between two seeds. And we're part of helping our children see this war. And that's a very important aspect to this. When I say you have confidence because you've been given everything you need, I, I don't necessarily mean that everything of that's going to be within you. That doesn't put the whole weight of it upon your shoulders and that you have to pull it out of your backside, and make it work somehow all on your own. We are a part of a body. God makes you competent to be able to do this by some of the skills he's given you, by, by, by the gifts that he's given within you, but also by the people that he's put within your sphere. There's always an exit. There's always a window. There's always an opportunity to reach out for help. If you are earnestly reaching out for it, it will be there when it needs to be there. Um, that means sometimes when you reach out, you're not going to be able to find what you really thought you wanted or needed right then and there. And that's God saying, it's not time yet, or that's not actually what you need, and it's going to be okay. Sometimes you're frantic and you reach out and you find so much more than what you were looking for. I, I thought I just needed this help and this one thing here. And now look at the blessings that have come. Look at the extra resources I have now from having reached out to this that is going to make it better. So you have what it takes to be able to raise your child, to be able to educate your child as a combination of yourself your life experience, your abilities to learn, your, your thoughts in your own heads, and the people that you're around with. Um, you also have that ability in the people that you keep away from you and your children. Um, that there, We cannot press enough uh, the importance of realizing just how tender and vulnerable and impressionable our children are um, early on in their lives. They are going to learn their behaviors, their patterns, their, their looking on the world from whoever's around them. So some of the best things you're going to do as a parent, okay, yeah, they're in your house and they're seeing you make a mess of the eggs and they're seeing you not being able to understand a second grade math lesson. And isn't that embarrassing? And yet at the same time, they're not in the public school going down to the library for transgender story hour. <laughs> Take the burnt eggs take the math lesson where you can't understand second grade issues. That's so much better at the end of the day. The failings that you have in this will still be better than the best lesson that they could ever have in the public sphere. And 
I've experienced that where I knew I was doing the teaching correctly and I had one of my children just wasn't getting it. And a man at the church we were attending who was a big time engineer said, I'll help. So we met at the library. He sat down with her. I was off reading a book. I could see them. So I knew she was safe. And he told her that she was a smart girl. And he went through this simple math, which for him was like really simple. (laughs) And you know what? I had a turnaround. I mean, she wasn't completely without tears now when she did math, but this man had told her she was smart. Now, Kathy, I had told her she was smart, but you know what? (laughs) Sometimes a prophet is without honor in his own hometown. So I elicited the help of other people. I did that in terms of science. You know, I got a microscope, the lady three doors down, we gave her my microscope and my daughter would walk down the street to learn science with this friend. Mm-hmm. Could I have done it? Well, probably not as well as my friend who is a nurse, right? And had gone through all the things more recently than I had, but it was somebody I trusted within the body who was now helping me. And in each case, the man who helped with the math and the woman who helped with the science were doing it in service to God, and they were happy to do it. It turned out in some weird, you know, transcendental way that this was an answer to their prayer of wanting to serve as it was an answer to my prayer of needing help. And this is, it's just a testimony to the goodness of God and, and the goodness of having ecclesia, of having a body of believers and and many different parts who can do many different things. Your child then, who is sent off to to little specialists here or there that can fill in the gaps, learns that it's good that there's all different types of people in the body of Christ with all different gifts. They learn to appreciate those gifts and others and the help that they can provide. And they gain courage then too to see if they have their gifts, I have my gifts too. I can do this to help. Maybe I can turn around and help like this in the future. That helps you as a parent then too, to realize I'm, I'm, I might not be able to teach that so well, but, but I've, I'm strong over here in this. Ask me about the curriculum that I'm writing. I'm, I'm not a science person. I, I can figure it out. I just don't care. Math, I, I tutored math actually beyond what I learned because at least it made sense in my head, but I didn't care for it. I didn't like it. So there's a lot of that stuff that I'm going to have to force myself to go back through and try to learn or figure it out or send my kids to help with other people. But I know books. I like books. I, this is something that I can do with them and for them. And it emboldens me to then say, and I can pass that along to others who need that help too. This is, it's a very unique, very oddball piece, <laughs> a very oddball organ to be within the body of Christ, but it's me. That's right. <laughs> Someone can use this organ, so use it. So go, if you can, I realize it's more than we can talk about in this time frame. <laughs> How did you orient this literature approach and what are the common themes that will go through it no matter what? you and the child are reading at the same time? Well, we're learning how to read. We're learning how to study for the rest of our lives. Um, And we're doing it (laughs) very sneakily. 
using a lot of the skills that the state says, oh, you have to be able to do this. These are the national standards and these are the things that you know. Okay, so we'll talk about those. We'll talk about the literary elements and we'll talk about literary devices, but we'll talk about how those things are either good for expressing words or how those are used to hide intentions. We're going to use literature as a way to frame and reinforce a biblical worldview and perspective. We're going to make it apologetics training. Uh, and this is a great place to be able to do it. Why waste the opportunity? You're going through all of these books that you have to read. The state says you have to read so many books and you have to read this types of things. Okay, so let's sit down and read those. And then let's put that in a godly worldview. Let's exercise ourselves to say, uh, how does what they're saying here relate to the Bible? How can we tell what artistry are they using with their words, with their writing, to be able to hide their intentions? Um, why is a serpents and innocent of doves? And we're actually going to teach the process of being able to read in a way that uses all knowledge to the glory of God, whether it shows the fallenness of man and the fallenness of the world, or it shows just how wonderful God's system is because man's is so debunked. Um, it takes a basic literature course, a basic reading course, and makes it life training. Uh, this is how you learn, and this is how you'll read for the rest of your life. And it sounds like we could also add the word discernment. Mm -hmm. In other words, as you're reading something, and, and I know some Christian parents sometimes say, well, I can't let my child read that. Oh, that's terrible. And a, a great example would be the Harry Potter series. Mm -hmm. um, you could fill a stadium with those who say, it's evil, satanic, stay away from it. And those who say, no, there are lessons to be learned here that we can show the, the, the working out of good versus evil. The key isn't to advocate for one piece of literature than another. If someone decided, you know, I think I'd like to try Kathy's approach and, and like to be part of her pilot program, but they see a particular book that you've chosen for your child that they would not choose. Mm -hmm. Okay, good. Then they can replace it with another book. But I discovered um, as I was training all three of my children that sometimes the best lesson about the truth of scripture came when we took a piece of literature that had no desire to glorify God, but showed that the wages of sin is death, showed that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So you really can use so many things that are at your disposal. Well, what is dominion? Is dominion just sitting back in our own little holy circle and say, okay, world, as soon as you're ready to be holy, you leave behind your unholiness and we'll be over here. There's a reason we say we take dominion. In order to take dominion, that means that we have to go into some very undesirable, nasty places. Our role isn't to avoid the bad things of the world. If we did that, we'd never be able to take dominion. We're supposed to go in there and shine light in the darkness. How do you shine light in the darkness if you're sitting in the middle of a bright room? You can't avoid these things and take dominion over them. So I, I would encourage, I understand the Harry Potter, and you'll find, I, I reference a lot of Harry Potter <laughs> in our series because it is popular, because it is modern, because it is something that kids universally engage in these days. Um, and I want to show my child how to engage in things that aren't always godly, but in a godly manner. 
I, I don't want them running away from the challenge of, yeah, that has not been taken under the dominion of Almighty God. This is how we view that. This is how we use that to see, mm, this is why what the world is promising isn't so great. This is where it comes close, but this is where it's deceptive. And this is how it's trying to lead you astray. That way you can learn and not be led astray in the future. And then as the people around you try to engage in and discuss in that, now you've got a little dominioneer that says, you know, at that one point in the Harry Potter, this is what they're trying to get you to understand there, right? And how that's against what God says. It's really tricky like that with these wordings here. And you probably didn't even realize that. But what you came away thinking, that wasn't Christian. Just, just so you know, <laughs> what a wonderful witness to be able to do. So dominion is giving them the, the life skills that they need to be able to go into the world and engage in. And it's not just the Harry Potter's. That, that, that's an easy target nowadays. Uh, it's a witch. It's evil. Uh, okay, okay. That's, that's one-off condemnation. Could you as an adult read that book and tell me what's wrong with it? I'm not saying there's not things wrong with it. I, I know all the things that are wrong with it, not all of them, but I know a lot of the things that are wrong with that. But could you actually engage with that that way? Are you maybe trying to hide the fact that you wouldn't be able to engage with it really well? then it's time to sit down and learn beside your child how to do that. And that's itself a wonderful lesson. Now, I didn't learn how to do this when I was your age. I, I was just told to go along with it. We mostly were when it comes to literature. Okay, you learned everything you needed to read before third grade. Now you just read to learn. So everything you read after third grade, you just accept what the author tells you is true. You, you just believe it. You, you just fall prey to the lessons and that's fine. I didn't learn how to discern through books when I was your age. Mommy's going to come alongside you and we're going to figure it out together. Now, what an awesome lesson is that for your child? Not only are they learning how to discern, but they're learning a great lesson in humility and Christian duty from their parent. And I think this is a key element here because you can't get away from evil so long as you're in the world. Mm -hmm. And if you can't identify where something is in line with covenant keeping as opposed to covenant breaking, then you're going to have this issue that when you confront or find yourself surrounded by evil, your response is run away. And since most people don't want to run away, they end up joining the thing that they were most afraid of. And I was thinking today as I was reading through the first chapter of Daniel, what made Daniel and his three friends so impressive to the heathen pagans? It was the fact that they were intelligent, they were educated, and they were confident in who they were. So much so that when push came to shove and they had to stand for what they believed as opposed to being punished or put to death, they were like, sorry, we know what's true and we know who our God is. And guess what? Even if he chooses not to take, to not to spare us, he's still God and he's still truth, right? That's what I want to produce in a Christian education and what I hope is the basis so that when our graduates stand before kings, their excellence will show, but their character will show even more and they don't back down, and they don't try to be accepted by those who hate God. They 
intend to be that light that shines so that when others see it, they glorify God and say, I need to be part of that. So, Kathy, are people who find this intriguing, um, are you willing to let them see your, your pilot project and have them participate with you and give you feedback? Yeah, sure. I'd, I'd, I'd love to hear. Like I said, I'm essentially just trying to put down into writing how I would choose to teach it to my kids. Uh, it's not everything. It's, it's literature, but it's literature slash worldview training. Um, and it's geared towards uh, middle to upper elementary or, or middle school uh, grades. So starting in fourth or fifth grade will be this, this year that we're doing. Um, and I, I have plans of doing <laughs> Lord willing and the creek don't rise, as we say here in West Virginia. I have plans of doing four years of this. Um, four years, uh, the way we have it set up is 36 weeks a year to fulfill that 180-day requirement of education in our state. But we're more than willing to share it. I'd, I'd like to hear feedback because I, I don't want to lose an opportunity. Uh, and I, I think that's iron sharpening iron. Oh, you know, you could do this over here with this and that would help. Hey, you might want to put this in over here. I found that this works well. That, that's good. That's great to hear. Uh, and we should be building each other up and encouraging each other and, and making a mutual effort like that. So yeah, no, we're willing to pass it along. I've got, I've got literally just one more practical lesson that I'm wrapping up before the first semester is done already. Um, and I should probably get started writing the second one. So. Right. And I think what's important here to realize is you've done something in your willingness to share that a lot of people say, I can't do this until it's perfect. Well, if you waited until it was perfect, your children would be having children and maybe they could use it. How much better to share what you're doing as you're doing it and then refine as you go so that, as you said, you can help other people. And you know what? Their homeschool isn't going to look like yours. And I would wish everybody would get the idea that they're not all going to look the same. And that's a good thing because that means we're not all centralized under this one rubric that will say you can only do it this way. You might decide that let's go back to my family that emphasized music. By the time their children have achieved excellence, they know an awful lot about math because music uses math as a way in which to create various things. So the math component of music may not be um, obvious to most people, but to musicians, it certainly is, mm -hmm. right? And to mathematicians, they'll go, oh yeah, right? So the idea here is Kathy's offering is to help you but you don't have to be chained to it that says, I have to do it exactly the way she does. You know, her children probably won't know for quite some time that everybody doesn't do school the way they do. <laughs> and they may just discover by the time they're 13 or 14 years old that they already know a whole lot more than people who are, you know, floundering around in college somewhere. So we shouldn't put these restrictions that say, oh, no, no, a seven-year-old, an eight-year-old can't do these things. Uh, maybe they can. 
Maybe you're growing the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's, and you just don't know it. Okay, so let God use you, and in your weakness, let God be strong. Amen. So this is what we'll do. If you're interested in finding out more about it and connecting with Kathy, who tends to be a very busy woman, I've told her that you can write to out of the question podcast at gmail.com, which is our email address for all sorts of things with this podcast, but that I will forward whatever it is you want. In other words, so that there'll be this go-between and think it through. There's no obligation. And since this is a pilot program, I don't think that she's ready to charge anybody for anything. I can't. <laughs> a lot of a lot of what we've used is is not me actually writing it out. I've just gone and found the resources that explain it the best. Right. So um, 65% of it is my words and my teaching. And the other 35% of it, this is just the best info that I could find out there that really describes it well. The whole purpose of it isn't to make money, it's to educate. So Exactly. And... If you're thinking my child isn't there yet, going ahead and looking over what Kathy has done might give you an orientation of, hmm, instead of spending their time reading People Magazine or whatever people read, maybe what I should be doing is getting ready. I should read these books and learn how I can view them with a biblical world in life view. So by the time you're quote unquote learning alongside your children, you really are ahead of them because you're ahead of them anyway. You've lived longer and you know why you're doing what you're doing. And they never have to know unless you share with them that you're learning as you go. Any final words before we conclude, Kathy? Just encouragement. If you've managed to make your way to this podcast, that means at some point homeschooling is pinging on your radar. You're either currently doing it or you're thinking about doing it, or you're at least a little interested in hearing what on earth is going on. Uh, look into it more. Think about it more. Um, it's, we happened to plan for it for, for several years, but it doesn't take long after trying to do homeschooling for you to realize there's a difference in the way that you're able to relate to your kids. There's a difference in the way that they're able to learn and the way that they're able to love God. It might be an endeavor at times. Trust me, it is. When a portfolio season comes around and I'm copying out 400 pages to turn over to the state representative to say, look, we did learn. There's some endeavor involved in that. But it's good endeavor. It's godly endeavor. It's worthwhile endeavor. So take our encouragement for the endeavor. All right. Listeners, thank you. Get in touch with me. If there are comments you have on this, I will be that go-between between you and the Bibliomond. Thanks for listening to Out of the Question. For more information on this and other topics, please visit calcedon.edu.